And yes, you are. You are listening to Jimmy Warren right here on Guitar Talk. I want to thank you so much for tuning back in today. You know, when I sent out to do this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to do was to talk about all things guitar, but I wanted to talk about those things with great players. But I also wanted to go uh, much farther than that and do the whole circle of life for guitar. What I mean by that is guitar techs, guitar builders, amp builders, pedal builders, you know, anybody that is in the guitar world, because it's nice to get a good perspective. You know, look at, hey, I could come on and I could give you reviews of pedals and amplifiers and guitars and things like that. But there's a million great people out there. If you want that, you need to go to people like uh, Sean Tubbs and, you know, uh, Pete Thorne. And those guys do great uh, reviews of of gear and equipment. In my head, so I watch them. You know what I mean? I watch Anderton's and, you know, that pedal show and stuff like that. And and those are things that, if that's what you're looking for, you need to go to those places. But for this, this is an opportunity to to sit down and listen to some of the greatest players and builders and techs talk about their influences, their experiences, their history, you know, their gear, all things, you know, guitar, you know, how'd they get where they are? How, why do they build things the way they do? You know, what influences them? You know, what's their training, that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I think we've done that. And I said all that to say this, because today is the first of many to come, of course, but today is the first jazz, contemporary jazz uh, guitarist that we've had on the podcast on Guitar Talk. And my guest today is Chris Standring. Now, if you're familiar with the contemporary or jazz world, you know this guy because he's an amazing player. Yes, I said amazing again. He's an amazing player. Uh, he He's probably one of the best in that industry. Uh, and then after talking to him, which I got to say, you know, most of these conversations have been, you know, really wonderful. Uh, I really, truly enjoyed this conversation. He is a well-spoken, well-educated individual uh, in a lot of things, and he had a lot of great things to say. There's some really good nuggets in this episode for guitar players, so you want to pay close attention because Chris has some really good advice. He had some really good practical things to say on top of sharing, you know, who he is and what he does and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know what Chris is into, but, you know, get yourself a drink, <laughs> you know, go, go pour yourself a drink or crack open a beer or get a glass of wine or whatever it is and just settle back for about the next 40 minutes or so and, um, you know, get into the mind of a truly, truly great player and, and a great person. Oh, my God. It was wonderful talking to him. So here we go. Enjoy this. This is Chris Standring, jazz guitarist. Everybody has a story that they of how they got started playing and what influenced them. I'm curious yeah. as to what your story is. Okay. Uh, what is my story? Uh, yeah, how did I, you I get mean, started? You know, what influenced you to start playing guitar? I always say the guitar chose me. I mean, for instance, uh, I, I I got my first 
three-quarter size classical guitar when I was six years old on my sixth birthday. And I had been playing toy guitars every year before that from age two. So there was something about the guitar that was in, in my DNA that was crying out. And, uh, you know, so it was really, I, I'd, I'd all, always known it. And uh, when I was first sent away to boarding school, I, you know, I met a bunch of guys who were really into rock and roll. And, you know, I bought myself a really cheap Zenta Telecaster copy for, I don't know, dirt cheap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with, a, with action, you know, like an inch off the fretboard. Uh, and I learned, I learned to play a bunch of open guitar chords and some rock and roll chugs. And, you know, as soon as I started playing with a bass player and a drummer and, and a singer, that feeling in a live band, even though at this primitive stage, it was, you know, it was the beginning of, of everything. It was like, I, this is what I want to do, you know. Yeah. So did you take uh, formal lessons in the early days or were you self-taught? No, I... I from my sixth birthday, I was awarded uh, this this little classical guitar and a private guitar lesson every every week that uh, that I, I took for years. You know, so I, I I I was formally trained in classical guitar for many many years, and uh, I and then I, of course I I went to music college in London, the London College of Music, and studied classical guitar to quite an advanced level. So that was always in me, you know. The, I, I guess the discipline to sit in a room and practice for eight hours a day was all, always there right from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, when I when I did go to music college, I met a bunch of jazz guys who were nuts about Charlie Parker and Chet Baker. And uh, I thought, wow, this is really interesting because this is deep harmonically, yet it's kind of cool and, and rebellious at the same time. So, so I, I started. I started teaching myself jazz guitar whilst I was having all these classical guitar lessons at the same time. You know. Yeah. So over the years, um, was it really just the the influence of jazz in your life, or were you listening to other players in you know other genres like like rock or blues or you know something like that? Well, I, I grew up in a, in a tiny little town in in England where. All we really had was a transistor radio to find out, to, to keep, keep up with what was going on, uh, you know, musically across the world. And, uh, and, and we had Radio One, which was, which was the national radio station in it, in the UK. And, uh, so there was a, there was a weekly chart. We had Top of the Pops, which was a TV show on TV once a week. And that was how we figured out what what was hip at the time, what was we were listening to. So, you know, we were getting a, a steady flow of Tamla Motown and Marvin Gaye and, and you know, Billy Paul, me and Mrs. Jones with the Philadelphia string sound and things like that. So we'd get all that plus the local progressive rock music that was going on in England at the time. And I was, I was eating it all up. Whatever I was personally exposed to, I was eating up. And uh, the, there was something about the progressive rock movement at the time was really interesting to me because it was so experimental. It, it was it was almost jazz to a point, although it had n- none of the harmonic 
interest. But it was experimental. Basically, anything went. You could put these these crazy, pretentious chord progressions together and these these ridiculous lyrics, and it would be fine because they because it had not been done before. And you know, the, like you could write a section of music and then literally t- take a, a, a hard left turn and go somewhere else, and it was acceptable. Acceptable. It was. It was. They took you on a journey, and I liked that. But um, but I, I, so I was I was listening to that, and I was also listening to the pop music of of Tanner Motown and and what we would hear on top of the pops. So so I was exposed to all all those three things: progressive rock, straight ahead jazz. And pop music, and what the music that I make these days is actually an amalgamation of those three things. You know, I'm very much into uh, traditional pop songwriting. I'm personally a jazz guitar player, but I but my compositions are very experimental in their in their uh, form. So I like to take people on a journey. So I'm not afraid of taking a hard left turn in a composition. You know, right. Now, when uh, when you were in the early days, you talked about uh, you know getting together with other musicians in, in a band setting and that. What was that? What was that like in the very early days for you? You know, to be able to to create music and experience music with other musicians. And what kind of stuff were you playing then? Um, well, I, I remember first looking at a Simon and Garfunkel songbook thinking that uh, it, would, it, it would be great to be able to play this. Well, it, I mean, even back then, it was pretty simple music for the most part. But uh, we were just literally, you know, the drummer was trying to hold a beat down and the bass player was making sure he was playing all the root notes. And I was trying to play all the chords and, you know, and we were backing a singer who could barely sing. I mean, it was really primitive stuff, of course, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then just over over the years, we all got better, and I played with different people who were better than me. And you know, it's just it, it's. Uh, I think my my plight to becoming a, a halfway decent musician was really not much different to anybody else's. You know. Yeah. So, what do you think were some key things that you did as a as a young player that helped you know set you up to be the guitarist that you are today? Well, I think, as I said, those three elements, uh, because they were they were very strong and uh, uh, obvious influences to me at the time, and and right now I, I am an amalgamation of all those three things. Uh, but I, but I, I also think it's more than that. I think <laughs> maybe because I lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere, uh, I I had this desperate ambition and drive to get out and so and of course I was not a stranger to hard work because of that classical discipline um, so I think uh, I was a hustler you know and, I, and really really I wouldn't say desperate but just ambitious and wanted to do good things and, and keep doing better things and keep doing better things so you know I, I moved to the to, to London, and then after 10 years, I, I realized that I wanted more than that, uh, and I moved to Los Angeles, and I, I, there's nowhere else to move unless I want to go and start again in New York, which I'm not sure I want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So it's a, you know, it's really kind of a, a an interesting journey, you know, that you spoke of, you know, 
being on kind of in an isolated, you know, rural, you know, area into diving into the classical studies of, you know, guitar and jazz guitar and that to eventually ending up in Los Angeles and being one of the top, you know, jazz and contemporary jazz players in, in the world, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, did I plan that? I'm not sure I, I planned that. I, I think, you know, you just keep going and, and uh, you, you have a, a goal in front of you that you try to meet. I mean, I will say that when I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I really didn't know I was going to be an artist. I actually thought I was going to be a, a studio musician and, and play for other people like I did in London when I was there, I thought I would just do that on a bigger scale. Um, although I've always had a band, I've always written music. I've always wanted to have some kind of vehicle for my compositions. Uh, it just so happened that the more I sort of put my sort of, uh, what's the word? The the more I got ensconced into the scene in Los Angeles, the more it just became apparent to me that that was the journey I was on. And eventually when I got a, got my first record deal, I had some success with it and then nobody called me again. <laughs> so, so I, I figured that, well, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I'm not a sideman anymore cause nobody wants to hire me. So here I am, you know? So, so was there ever though, uh, in the early days, was there ever that aha moment of this is what I want to spend my life doing? You know, that that aha moment came to me when I when I was at boarding school. I think I was 16 years old. Strangely enough, before that time, I really wanted to, for some bizarre reason, I wanted to be an architect. Mm. And, you know, had I really thought about what that meant, I probably didn't want to be one at all. <laughs> uh, but I was really into drawing nice pictures, you know, in a, in a really logical way. And I was always organized. Uh, so architecture seemed like something I wanted to do. Um, but, uh, but when I went to boarding school and start, and I, and I bought that Zenta Telecaster copy and then we started doing, we did, we did a gig for the school. And I thought, I really like this. And I was, I was actually studying music theory at the same time, and I was fascinated with it. So suddenly, at, at this early stage of 16, it, it overnight became clear to me that when I left school in a couple of years, that's, that's what I wanted to pursue. Somehow, I didn't know how, but I wanted to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, architecture was out the window. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, to, so today, uh, do you still do you still practice the way you did in the early days when you were trying to, you know, a re, a, a achieve the goal of of being the type of player you are? Do you still have that kind of discipline today, or is it less? You know, what 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 does that look like today for you? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, and and uh, I would probably answer that differently at different times of the year. But the, the short answer is I don't have time to practice the way I used to. Uh, I mean, even on this lockdown that we're on, I, I've 
It's just way too many things to do. I'm practicing more, probably because I've got a new guitar that I'm trying to play now. Um, so I'm knuckling down and just literally technically trying to get my hands around this new instrument. But uh, when I get into practicing, I'm generally... Well, there's two, there's two sides to playing privately. There's one, one side is just literally keeping your chops up. So I'm literally just trying to stay at the top of my game. Uh, so I'm playing all the time, which is very different from practicing. Practicing is when, as you know, you're actually working on some new things. Right. And for, for me, uh, I, if I stumble across some new harmonic idea that I want to incorporate into my vocabulary, I will sit down and really try to do that. And, uh, and that, I like to do that as much as I can. And, and right now I'm, I'm going through some nice new ideas that I'd like to incorporate. Um, but, but the, that, that's a luxury because let me tell you, because I'm a record company owner and I'm, uh, taking care of business and keeping it all together, uh, Sometimes, I hate to admit, sometimes two weeks will go by and I haven't been able to pick up a guitar. So it's, it just depends what's going on. For instance, if I'm finishing up a record, I'm, I'm mixing or I'm, I'm organizing files, I'm, I'm sending files, I'm emailing. You know, there's so much business, so much setting up with distribution, things like that. Honestly, picking up the guitar seems to be the last thing in the chain. Yeah. But, but it's, but that's because, I'm making a living as a musician, and right now you have to be—you have to wear all the hats. You can't just literally think you can play the guitar all day and and the mortgage is paid. You know, it just doesn't work like that. Right, right. Well, well, that that's completely understandable. And that I, I've just run across—you know—some people, you know, they like to carve out that time regardless. And I understand that when you get to the to the place you are, when you get to that level, of course it becomes, things are far more demanding and your time is much more valuable than it is when you're a young guy, you know, trying to cut your teeth and, and do this thing to begin with and that. But I always find it interesting, you know, to, to wonder, you know, at that level, you know, how are guys staying fresh? You know, how are guys, you know, growing themselves? Yeah. Well, I, I do think that the, the way you stay fresh and inspired is through practice. There's no question about it. Yeah. When I'm most happy about myself as a musician is when I know I'm at the top of my game and I'm, I'm playing inspired, you know. Uh, and, that's, and that happens from, from playing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, but the thing is, I'm, you know, to be honest, Jimmy, I, I'm actually as much or probably more of a of a composer as I am a guitar player. Yeah. And as much of my time goes into recording and writing and arranging and composing as it does playing the guitar. For me, I'm not, I, you know, there's, there's a, I can think of a lot of guitar players who are true guitar players. That's, they, they literally sleep and eat and breathe guitar. That's not me. I, I'm playing the guitar because I need a voice in my compositions. Uh, but in order for me to say something as a voice, I need to be at the top of my game and have some vocabulary and have a good tone and things like that. So I need to work on it. But it's simply, it, it's a vehicle for, for me to have these compositions right. fleshed out. And, you know, it's, that's really 
what it's all about to me. Right. Now, you, you mentioned a minute ago, and, and I've seen it on, on your uh, Facebook page, of course, the new guitar that you just got. Why don't you tell yeah. me about it? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been a Benedetto endorsee since 1996, and uh, they, they've always made just stunning guitars. Yeah. And this, this is just, um, I mean, this is actually the fourth one I've had, but this one is, no question about it, the most superlative instrument I've ever seen and played. And, um, you know, and, and when I, when I had them build it, that, you know, they built it to the specs of my existing one, but you can never get it microscopically exact because, because it's human. Every single gets, and so, um, as close as they could possibly get it, I, I, I think to sit down and shed this instrument to really, you know, get my, get my hands around it comfortably. But it's coming, and when it does, it's it's just going to be a dream. It's it's really a beautiful instrument. Mm-hmm. It's called a, a it's called a bambino. Yeah, it, it's absolutely beautiful, and yeah. I can only I can only imagine, you know what it feels like or what it sounds like, you know, I, I mean, I heard the, the video of you playing it on your, on your site and that, but what is, what is it about outside of the, the, the quality of it? I mean, what is it, what kind of pickup is, is in the guitar to start out with? Well, it's a Benedetto A6, which I believe is made by Seymour Duncan. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right on that, but I'm sure Howard Paul, if he's listening, he'll tell me. If that's still the case, I think it's. I think it's still still right. Um, yeah. So now, now I, I'm sure that that's your number one guitar, of course, since um, you know every time I've seen you, you've had one. But do you uh, do you play other guitars? Do you have other things that you pull out during your shows? Uh, not during my during my shows, for the simple reason that if I, <laughs> it's, it's, I just find playing the guitar so hard that if I pick up one guitar and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm used to it for three songs and then I pick up another guitar, it's, I'm not used to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so, uh, and I've done, I, back in the day I would have two or three guitars on stage and switch between them. And I can't do that. I, it just, you know, I, I'm, it just takes me out of the moment. I, I don't want to have to think about the instrument. You know what I mean? It's, as I said, it's just, just this vehicle for, to, for me to get my ideas out. Right. So I want it to be part of me. And so if I'm, if I'm going to warm up on this guitar for an hour before I played, I want that to be the instrument I played during the show. Right. Now that's not to say that when I'm making records, I'm not picking up different guitars because I am, right. you know, for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll play acoustic guitars for certain things and I'll play a strat for some rhythmic things and, you know, Right. Whatever, whatever calls for for the guitar sound in the track, I'll I'll play. But the voice, the lead voice, will always be whatever my main instrument is at the time. Mm-hmm. One thing you said a minute ago that I found really interesting was that you just got it and and you had to take some time in order to kind of wrap your head around it and get used to it. What's that yeah. like? What's that like for you? Because I know. I know some guys, you know, they just pick it up and, you know, it's a guitar. It might feel a little bit different and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a guitar. But for you, it sounds like it's something that's a lot more personal. No, I think it's more to do with my limited technique. <laughs> and I know and I know. sometimes it, it, 
it doesn't look or sound that way when people hear me because I've always been into precision, you know. Yeah. But but for instance, there are people who can play these ridiculous arpeggios a million miles an hour, which requires you to to play across the strings. Whereas I'm not somebody who can really do that very well. I mean, I, I never learned to sweep pick, for instance. So my my entire guitar playing is is more, a little bit more scalic. You know, I'll I'll uh, I'll play things that are that fall under the fingers for me. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, anytime I transcribe some crazy Michael Brecker lick, and I try to play it on the guitar, if I couldn't play it on the guitar. I, I mean, I just thought, I'm not going to play this lick. It's just, I don't want to have to play anything that takes me out of the moment, you know. So, and that's, that's the, it's the same concept with, with a new instrument. If you're, if you're going to, if you're trying to rip through a phrase that's normally easy to do, you know, when you're talking about playing a, a certain speed and intricately, you know, unless the strings are, sort of uh, set at exactly the same distance to the guitar that you're playing, which they can't be, I mean, but just by nature of the instrument mm-hmm. and the fact that somebody's got to carve a hole in a nut and a bridge, it's, there's going to be a, t- a microscopic di- difference and it just takes a minute to get used to that. And I'm, as I said, I'm getting used to it, but, it's before you get used to it, you you want you wonder if you can even play guitar at all because it's like what's going on? And you start sweating and you go, "This is what you know? Why does this have to be?" Yes. <laughs> but I, but it's it's going to get there. And this has happened, of course, many times with new guitars. So I know the process, and it's going to be absolutely fine in no time at all. But I'm still in that phase. I'm afraid. Right. Well, if somebody was to listen to you, you know, uh, just on that little clip that you did of you. You know, uh, showing it off. You know, the guitar and that. You know, nobody would ever know. I mean, you, you're the one that knows that. You know, the the people that are yeah. listening, they just think you're amazing. So, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, though. If you look at that clip, if you notice, I was playing, I was playing with my fingers on, on with my right hand. I was not playing with a pick. Right. And th- the simple reason is that I couldn't have played with a pick. I couldn't do it uh, without flubbing a whole bunch of new notes and getting very frustrated but but with fingers you know with this classical guitar thing you know i'm used to playing classical guitar with a pretty wide neck and high action so fingers is a different thing Mm. it's it's the it's the act of using a pick and going across the strings with precision you know it's a it's a different it's a different technique and uh yeah i mean yeah so, uh, yeah. so what type of um, what type of amp are you uh, playing through? If somebody was to come see you live, I mean, uh, well, if if I'm doing a shows out of town, I'll I'll have them the promoter rent me right. a couple of Fender Twin Reverbs, okay. usually as new as possible because the old ones you never really know what you're getting. And the amount of times I've been to Places, particularly out of the country, and they've rented me an amp. That, I mean, it, it's like I feel like I'm playing through a toaster. It's just, 
what the hell have you just rented me? You know, so, so the amount of times I've taken them back is mental. But for the most part, you know, a new blackface twin, yeah, 60, 65 reissue. Uh, you know, uh, not that I'm crazy about that tone, but the fact that they are pretty constant yeah. and reliable is is important. Uh, now, if I'm at home and I'm recording, I'm using acoustic image. Uh, okay. And, so, and sometimes I take an acoustic image head and I just rent a Marshall 4x12 speaker. And I'm pretty good for the most part. But the thing about the twins is, especially if you're doing an outdoor festival, mm-hmm. they'll give me a bit more headroom and they can they can take the stage in a way that this little acoustic image can't, you know. Right. Now, sometimes when you're recording... Um are you using, you know, any of the plugins like through UA or, you know, Kimber no. or anything like that? No, I'm basically I'm plugging into the acoustic image into a 12 inch razor's edge speaker mm-hmm. uh, with a 57 mic on it, and then that goes through my desk, and I'll add a little lexicon reverb and a tiny, tiny bit of delay, and. That's my sound. That's it. Yeah. Now, is that your Nothing same, else. is that your same sound live? You know, a little bit of yep. delay and a little bit of reverb. And that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that that's it. That's that's all it is. Um, I do have a, two little effects sometimes that I use. I mean, a wah wah for for something for some rhythmic things, and a envelope follow, follower which I, I I might step on once in a show. You know. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's just re- a bit of reverb and a tiny bit of de- delay. To be honest, if I don't have the delay on, I really don't care. It's yeah. just for a little bit of presence. But uh, I'm very, very um, sticky about the reverb. I, I do like a really nice reverb. So if for my my live sound, it's a Hall of Fame TC Electronic. Mm-hmm. Stereo reverb. I love that. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. That's it. I mean, you know, if I have that, I'm happy. Yeah, that's that's a nice reverb. It is. That's a real nice reverb. So have you ever thought, you know, because you've been doing this for quite a while, and you've had, you know, great success. And, and from my standpoint, you know, I've always been a huge fan, and I've always loved your music and your playing and that. But have you ever thought about doing something different musically? You know, like maybe well, a first, different style. Or... Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. That's very flattering. Um, and secondly, I, I might have got to the place where I don't know if I can <laughs> do anything else. <clears throat> I think probably if I wanted to, I could probably make a classical guitar record. Uh, I w- it would be torture for me because it's such an exposed, hard instrument to play. But I love it. Uh, I could do that. And I, I've been thinking about doing that, but whether I will or not is another thing. Um, so, so for me, it's really just more of a question of me pushing my instrumental voice in different scenarios. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whether it be with a big band, that's that could, that could maybe happen or not, or an orchestra, or a, or a you know a trio, for instance. I mean, those, those are all things that that I'm experimenting with, but. Uh, but that's my voice. I, I don't know what. I mean, what am I going to do? Make a heavy metal record? I, no. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just the only reason I brought it up is because you know there's yeah. been other people that have 
you know, gone off into other areas. Like, for instance, you know, Jeff Golub, you know, did some blues stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, yes, but but I, I mean, knowing Jeff as I used to, bless him, yeah. uh, great guitar player. He was a rock and roll guitar player. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that, that Jeff, Jeff got, I mean, Jeff was great friends with, with Rick Braun, and they were, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. They worked on his first record, and Rick was having success in the format. So he wanted to pull Jeff in, and, and you know, the, he, he, Rick saw that there was a career to be had. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, that, they, they were friends back in the day with Rod Stewart, and mm. and so they they kind of carved out a, a a space for Jeff to do his thing. So they they brought him into a genre that was not he was not t- terribly comfortable in, to tell you the truth. You know, he was. It's not like Jeff was a jazz guitar player in any way. He was a he was a rock guy, you know. Right, right. Well, that, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so the fact that he went back and made a blues record, he was just going home, you know. <laughs> I guess you got a point there. Yeah. I guess you got a point. So, um, what are you uh, what are you doing now? You know, I know you talked about how you're really busy. Are you recording, you know, another project right now, or are you just? Uh, you know, planning for when things open up, you know, to get back on the road or? Well, I mean, I've got this new record coming out and, well, actually, I have a new record out. What am I talking about? Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm busy something. I'm a new single. I just did a video for the new single, which is uh, about to happen on June the 15th. Uh, the song is going to be called Shake You Up. Uh, so that's going on. I'm, I'm literally today, I'm just uh, doing final mixing to for a song I'm producing by a guitar player called Tom Rotella. He's got a new single coming out. Uh, so we're just finishing up that song. Um, I'm also, I've been working on an orchestral jazz record for, for about a year, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of halfway through writing it. I mean, that's been really, really, what's the word, taxing, yeah. uh, because I'm doing all the, the orchestrating, all the string writing, and it's... And it's very intense. And I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say I'm over it, but I just need to step away from it and uh, take a breather from it. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, other than that, I mean, I, you know, all the things that I, I have to do, like uh, I could have, I'm doing a computer upgrade, so I'm going to literally be oh, just, just, it's a nightmare. You know what that is. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're installing plugins and, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so boring. But uh, you know, it's like every every single day, there's something that I that that hits me that I have to take care of. Right. You know, it is just life stuff as well. You know. Right. Do, yeah. So, so um, let me just ask you. You know, what kind of what kind of advice would you give um, somebody that wants to you know kind of follow in the footsteps of somebody like yourself? They want to you know go from just playing to maybe you know, trying to carve out a career in the jazz, in the contemporary jazz genres? I mean, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, what advice would I give them? Um, it's, a, yeah, it, it, it's a hard one because there's, there are a few things if I really think about it, but I'm trying to think of the, something that I would want to tell somebody. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I think you have to really... 
know that you want to be an artist because being an artist is very, very different from being a sideman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's something about being on stage, playing with a band, supporting a frontman that's very safe. Um, it's you know you can you you have no responsibility apart from the fact that you have to do a really good job as a sideman. It's you know, you're not there to. Uh, Wow, the crowd! As far as a, as far as a frontman is concerned, I, I think you can only really understand this once you switch from the sideman to the main artist. Once it's you at the front of the stage, and people have come to see you, and it's your job to communicate with them and make them feel good and put on a show, and more importantly, make sure you get to come back. Those are very different responsibilities. Uh, and pressures than playing in a in a in a band, you know, behind a singer. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to really know that you want to do this because sometimes, once you do make that leap, there's no going back. Unless, of course, it fails miserably. <laughs> you know, in, in which case you, you need to, you know, get your old career back. So I, I think I think knowing knowing that you really want this. And, and, you know, you have what it takes because also being an artist is a, is, a, is a different mentality. It's a different character facet. It's a different personality type. You, you have to want to be that guy that goes to the front of the stage and wants to connect with the audience. A lot of musicians don't. They want to hide, you know. So, so I mean, this is a long-winded answer, but know that you know that you want to be that guy. Um, and then once you do know that, then you'll, I, for the most part, if you've got what it takes as a player and a writer, because God knows we need good writers and there aren't enough right now, um, that's a, you, you'll figure it out. You know what I mean? You'll, if you want it badly enough, you'll, you'll know to chase all those questions as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's an extremely, it's a difficult process. I mean, really time consuming, a lot of no's. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of sleepless nights and, uh, you know. Well, also, don't, don't forget that if, if you're a sideman, you know, I, I remember I, I did this for many, many years. You know, you would, you would leave one gig and go to another. And for the most part, you know, you were going through a constant stream of being fired, which is, which is how you go to the next gig. I mean, usually musicians don't leave bands if they you know if something good's going on they'll just stick it out because it's a it's a secure check but people get fired you know because because band leaders and producers they get new ideas and they want to change up the bands and do do something brand new so musicians find themselves out of work all the time mm-hmm. um so so i guess i've actually Totally lost my train of thought now. I can't remember why I, why I was talking about that. Um, yeah, you might have to remind me what, what I was talking about. You, know, you were you were you were talking about you know people pursuing you know being an artist as opposed to a side man. Yes, I yeah. think what I'm saying is uh, the, the fact that you can go from gig to gig as a side man means that there's there's a safety net there. Yeah. As an artist. 
You can't do that. Let's say, let's say you have a successful record. You've got, to, you've got to then release another record and have that success again. If you don't do that, if you don't have another successful record, the pressure's on. I mean, it's, it can be scary because this is what you're doing. Yeah. So, so I think that's the pressure. But uh, I mean, from my perspective, I've been doing this for quite a long time and uh, I'm somewhat entrenched and people know who I am and I've got a career. And I feel like I have enough of a fan base now and I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing uh, that every time I do release a record, I'm going to be okay for the most part. People are going to be, you know, provided it's not a terrible record, people are going to be with me. You know what I mean? Right. But... Uh, but if but if you do become an artist and suddenly for whatever reason you you make a record that no nobody wants to hear, uh, <laughs> you either go back to being a sideman or you you go back and make a record that people want to hear. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't pander to people. You have to make a record that you truly believe in. So it's there's a lot of uh, psychological nonsense that you have to go through in order to. Get it right, and you know, yeah. and stay sane. Stay sane. You know, one of the other things that is uh, a part of you is the instructional aspect. I noticed, yeah. you know, that you have, you know, several opportunities through your website and that for um, for classes and lessons and you know different uh, master classes and stuff like that you offer. Uh, yeah. Is that directly just through your website? I mean, do you give personal lessons too, or is it only through the online, um... yeah, it's um, it's it's only online. I haven't actually given a, a personal guitar lesson. I don't know for I think twenty five years. Uh, I've thought about it, but uh, it just for whatever reason, it's not something I do or have. Generally, people don't ask me, um, but uh, but I do love the idea of of being able to give people all the information I know <laughs> in one program or, or two or three programs, whatever they are, which is, which is what I've done. I mean, for the most part, you know, I've made these guitar programs, these home study uh, instructional programs, you know, and I've literally poured everything I know. There's not too much else I feel like I could even impart at this point, which is probably why I haven't written anything new for a while. Um, I, in fact, when I wrote Play What You Hear, Volume 2, you know, I was even discussing subjects I was kind of uh, discovering myself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I know some more stuff, I might, I might write another program. <laughs> so would you suggest, you know, do you think it's a good thing for somebody that you know, was planning on trying to make a career playing. Do you think it's a good thing for him to uh, take some time out in, uh, you know, and really study, learn theory, learn, you know, the, the technical aspects of music? Well, you know, this is a difficult question. I, I would say yes, because that's what I did. But at the same time, did B.B. King yeah. do, a, do a fellowship classical guitar program? I mean, no, and did it 
did it hinder him in his career? No. I mean, he BB King played the, the blues. You know, he he. I mean, his vocabulary harmonically was extremely limited, but he had all the feeling that you needed to to make a a career last forever. You know, yeah. so it, it just you've got to ask yourself at some point. Who am I? What if I'm an artist? What am I trying to say? What do I want to say? Um, and of course, your work ethic is going to sometimes get the better of you because if you, you know, if you're if you decide to be a rock and roll guitar player, you may not need to put in too much time, uh, you know, uh, practicing your instrument. I mean, you know, uh, the jazz and classical is far more demanding technically and harmonically uh, and it's a lifetime study that never ends so it just depends who you decide you're going to be and what you want to be and of course authenticity is at the top of the it should be at the top of the priority list you, you know if if you're a you know if you if you're a rock and roll gu- guitar player at heart i mean do you really want to end up playing like joe pass i mean probably not and vice versa you know what i mean right right that's really good advice. Mm. Really good advice. Well, Chris, you know, I really appreciate you taking uh, some time out of your, your day. I know you're extremely busy. And if I was you and I had that guitar, I probably wouldn't talk to me. I'd probably still be playing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you can't get the, you, you can't let it get the better of you. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Well, I tell you what, I love your music. I love your playing. I think you're a, a, a tremendous talent. And once again, I thank, thank you. you. I hope stay safe, and I hope things you open too. Up soon for you. I do too. For you too. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Appreciate okay. it. Good luck. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. So there you have it. Jazz and contemporary jazz guitarist Chris Standring. I want to thank Chris for participating in uh, my podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with him. Make sure that you're following Chris on all social media platforms, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, He's got a lot of great videos on YouTube, of course. And then you can also uh, connect with him on ChrisStandring.com. Now, when things open back up and Chris comes to your town, Make sure you go see him because you're not going to be disappointed in any way. Next week, we turn our attention back to gear. My guest is Chad Mangrum of Sine Wave Amplifiers. Uh, He's got a long history in that world. Uh, He was even an integral part of two rock amplifiers for a period of time. You know, great players like Matt Schofield uh, have his gear. So he's definitely somebody that you want to pay attention to. So join me next week as my guest is Chad Mangum right here on Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. Have a great day.